you're listening to the Janet Patterson Fan Show. Just joking. But it might as well be because after interviewing my mom today, I think she should just take this podcast over. She's just way more interesting than I am. And who am I? I am Kat Poland and this is my podcast, Out of Line. I don't even know where to begin I'm trying to introduce my mother. Um, she is an amazing woman, uh, one of the strongest people that I know has been through emotional and physical trauma and somehow manages to keep going. I was inspired to interview her this week in particular because um, Sunday our family um, started our first uh, Advent tradition at home our church distributed advent wreaths to every family which was wonderful and we lit the what's called the candle of hope and it got me thinking a lot about what hope means to our family in particular we've been through our fair share of trauma and tragedy um as any family has but in 1999 when i was 16 years old my older brother eric Um, He was 29, um, died by suicide, and we found out shortly before his death that at 12 years old, he had been molested by our local parish priest, and we later found out after his death that the Catholic Diocese of Wichita, Kansas, had known that the priest was a pedophile, and instead of taking the proper um, action to remove him from the priesthood and put him in prison. Uh, They just kept shuffling him around from parish to parish. And he unfortunately um, abused many, many, many hundreds possibly of children. And we know of at least five suicides, but uh, potentially several more associated with this perpetrator. So, um, it's, it was a lot. Um, it's something I write about um, on my blog at catpoland.com and I'm currently writing a book about all of it. But um, my mother has been just an incredible advocate for those who've been sexually abused and uh, for people who faced injustice. And she has bravely spoken out against uh, powerful people and powerful organizations and I'm definitely very proud to call her my mother and I hope to live up to half of the uh, half of the woman that she is. Another thing to know about my mom is that she was a teacher for many many years. In fact growing up in our small town I was known simply as Mrs. Patterson's daughter and at the time I didn't think that was great but now I consider that a great honor. Um, She was a teacher for 35 years, I think possibly more, taught um, various different grade levels, but um, her longest teaching stint was as uh, the senior English teacher and French teacher at our high school. And when I announced on Facebook that I was going to be interviewing her, um, a lot of her former students chimed in and wanted to tell her hello or tell her thank you or ask her questions. And she, she was happy to entertain I hope you enjoy this conversation with my mom. I hope you are inspired to be brave. I hope you are educated um, about some of the different uh, facets of sexual abuse and things that can go on. 
Um, I hope you're entertained. She's very funny. Uh, and I hope you're comforted um, knowing that people can go through really, really, really hard things and can do um, really important and wonderful things with their lives. Well, I appreciate you doing this with me. I've had a lot of fun doing this podcast. I've got to talk to some really interesting people, but apparently nobody as interesting as you because... Let's, let's wait and see. Um, oh, no. I hear children fighting above my head. Um, uh, yeah, another thing to mention is that you're going to be hearing some screaming and stomping in the background. <laughs> my office is in the basement and the children were right above me and not following instructions to stay quiet, but everyone's safe. Nobody got hurt, even though it made me a little bit cranky. Yep. Don't know what's happening up there, but I won't worry about it right now. Um, okay. So I first wanted to ask you some questions that I got from, <laughs> I'm going to call them, going to call them your fans. Is that okay, mom? Oh, yes. Yeah. So I put something on Facebook about uh, me interviewing you and I was amazed at the responses that people just um, were so excited and they had all sorts of questions for you. Um, all former students. And um, I was pretty impressed with their, quality of questions and I thought maybe I need to have other people think of questions that I need to ask more often so okay <laughs> this is a fun question from Marie Ohl do you remember Marie I sure do she said can she still speak French and sing the French national anthem oui uh, je parle français that's enough for me now. But anyway, really. I, I wouldn't have known any better. You could have made up anything. So, And Marie's been sending me nice, nice get well cards, and I appreciate that very much. That's awesome. I'm so glad. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know any French because since you taught French, I took Spanish. But <laughs> I ended up enjoying Spanish, but I wish I would have learned some French. So we had some audio issues um, before this next part, but I, I had told my mom that a woman by the name of Michael that was in my class uh, growing up had chimed in on Facebook to uh, say some really wonderful things about my mom and also ask her a really great question. She said, your mom is one of the most amazing and influential people I have had the blessing to experience. Wow. She might she might not know how much she touched my life in my senior year, but she taught me a lot, and the memories can bring an instant smile. She said, my mom once said about being a teacher how, though she is the one being paid to teach, it is the students that continually teach her something new. So I guess her mom was a teacher, and that's what she said. So Michael's question for you was, in all your years of teaching, what is your favorite memory of a student teaching you something? That's a hard question because I have so many memories of students teaching me something. Uh, it would be pretty hard to signal something out right now. Um, I suppose it would be uh, misjudging someone and making an assumption about them and then later founding out through something correspondence from that student that I was completely wrong and I wrote an apology letter to that student and we're very close now. But it was, uh, you know, I learned a lot from that. Wow. So you actually wrote an apology letter to a student? Oh, yeah. 
It didn't hurt my fingers at all. <laughs> I could write just fine. No, but I don't know how many other teachers would do that. Well, I, it was only right because, I've, you know, I'm a human being. She's a human being. And if I couldn't treat her like a fellow human being, then I shouldn't have been in that classroom. Wow. Oh, that's why everybody admires you so much. Okay. Um, Pam O'Neill. Of course, you remember Pam. Yes. Um, so Pamela said, I took college English 13 years after graduating high school. I received an A in it pretty easily. I'm not trying to brag here. What I'm trying to say is that I believe your mother is the reason it was easy for me, even after not being in class over a decade. Tell your mother I said thank you. Oh, and also tell her that my undergraduate degree is in English and journalism and that I should be receiving my doctorate in educational leadership in May. Tell her thank you as well. Uh, Pam, thank you very much, and uh, I am so happy that you've done so well, and you're still at Wichita State, aren't you? I hope, I thank you for teaching there. Anyway, thank you for the message. Yes, as far as I know, she's still there, and yeah, so just hearing those nice things from former students, does that make all of the late nights grading worth it? Well, it does, because uh, there are times when I kept thinking, I'm trying to sell a product that nobody wants. <laughs> <laughs> then later on they come back and you're in college and they'll say thank you very much for what you did but uh, I knew especially with some of the boys that it wasn't that big a product for them later on they appreciated it so that's funny yeah because you even had like a higher grading scale than other teachers yeah I did for a long time and uh, the students didn't care for that but that was used to be that that's okay the grading scale that was used and then they made it simpler huh Okay, I got uh, some more questions here from Nicole Noel, and um, she said she had some really good questions. Um, she said, "What character from literature does you does she most identify with, and why?" That I most identify yeah. with. Okay, um, I'm trying to think of one of Shakespeare's plays, but all I can think of is Lady Macbeth. <laughs> and I don't think I want to identify with her. Um, I'm stumped on that one right now. Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, but I I don't even know what I would say to that. Well, I'll, I'll put down Lady Macbeth because she definitely knew how to get her way, and she was very manipulative, and um, she didn't let anything stand in her way. And when I watch politics today, I keep thinking, my, I've got a lot of Lady Macbeths out there. <laughs> well, yeah, I wouldn't say you're manipulative, but, uh, I mean, I do think that you have been able to power through some situations that, you know, yeah. overcome. Um, okay, what has been the most surprising or amazing change you've witnessed during your lifetime? Um, I think raising new children has been it. Of course, that's been over a long period of time, but the grandchildren and now the great-grandchildren, it's just an evolving process. And um, it's like I'm learning more and more each day and sometimes going back and relearning things, but having new children has been my real education. Well, I, you should know that, that it pours down through the generations. You know, I feel like, you know, how you raised... Uh, me and us kids, you know, our home was filled with books all the time. Yes, and, and your dad loved books. Yeah, and you being an English teacher and 
I've tried to instill that in my kids, but you know, we're raising them differently because we're different people. But um, you know, Anna's really got that love for literature. She she's so funny. So she listens to sleep stories every night before she goes to bed, and she'd been listening to the Velveteen Rabbit every oh. night. Well, now she has started listening to um, an audio tour of Oxford Library. <laughs> like, really? Yeah, that's what she listens to to go to sleep. She just loves the description of the library and the books, and she has her heart set on wanting to go to Oxford. Does that sound familiar? Yes. I wanted to as well. So, um, yeah. Well, when we were in England, we visited Oxford, didn't we? I yeah. thought it, was, it wasn't Cambridge. It was Oxford, I think. Yeah. 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 So, okay. A couple more questions here from Nicole. Um, when you ended up teaching the children of former students, did you find them more similar to their parents or different? Um, once in a while, I could see resemblance either in physical things, sometimes in their sense of humor and that, but uh, pretty much they were, they were different. But it was always so interesting to me remembering how the mom used to act or the dad used to act and then see the child. And uh, sometimes I would think, gee, the kid is more mature than the mom and dad were <laughs> at that age or vice versa. But wow. yeah, I always enjoyed that though. That's funny. Oh man. Um, here's another really good question. It's her last question. If you had won the lottery at 18 and the need for money was never a consideration, what do you think you would have done with your life and where would you have lived? Well, that would probably be a difficult one because what would I have done with my life? I would probably spend a couple of years just trying out, figure out what I should do with that money. And then where should I live? Probably I'd want to be somewhere in the mountain area, but close to the beach. I don't know if there is such a place or not. Maybe in California. I don't know. Yeah, I could be. The best of both worlds. Yeah, because you've, you've always loved the beach. Yes, yes. Um, so those listening to this won't know your teaching history. Will you just kind of, so I can kind of put that before all this, tell me mm -hmm. why you became a teacher and how long you were a teacher and all that. Well, uh, I attended Catholic grade school and high school and college. And I've always enjoyed being uh, in the classroom and I had such fine teachers. I mean, there were some lemons once in a while, but most of them for the most part were really great. And I just thought that would be something I'd like to do. And so when I graduated from college in 1964, I wanted to go to Jamaica to teach uh, with two other friends who also were going there. And that was a good decision because I uh, found out a lot, got through to see a beautiful, beautiful country, meet some wonderful people. And then I got sick during my freshman or that year, first year, flew home and while I was at home I met my future husband <laughs> and so I came back to finish out the year and he sent me a ring through the mail and we got engaged and got married six months later and my whole family was very upset I found out later <laughs> I should have known because I would have been afraid you know if you had done that I would have been like what but anyway yeah. it turned yeah. out almost 50 years oh yeah so, yeah, and I, I, I had it in my head for some reason. Weren't you considering going into the convent or that was an option? You in high school, I was in what they call the aspirancy, and the aspirancy was for people who were aspiring or hoping to become a nun, okay. and I was only there for three years, and then I decided I uh, thought my life was so boring there. Boy, did I <laughs> find out a different thing, having, being married, having children, anything but boring. 
Yes, for sure. Yeah, I think the way Dad liked to tell it was like he talked you out of out of the convent or something like that. But you know, so yeah, it was a good story. Whatever you know, but yeah. So um, I'll ask you a few more questions about teaching, and then we'll move on to something else. So, what was it? Can you tell me like your funniest memory from teaching? Funniest from teaching. Okay, I have to think back for all the years that I taught and. Um, well, I remember uh, one of the students was reading something and he mispronounced a word. And because he mispronounced it, it was a sexual word. Oh, no. And we all started laughing. Then he became the principal of Conway Springs High School oh, later on. No. <laughs> <And the> superintendent. <laughs> oh, I think I know who you're talking about. Uh, yeah. I just, you know. Our family, like that runs in the family too, like people mispronouncing words. It just, I laugh and I laugh so hard when, especially when it makes the sentence take on just, you know, a whole new meaning. And um, that's like that, my favorite story about Michael. Remember when we were driving to Missouri uh, when he was like eight or so years old and he meant to say, avert your eyes when we drove by that XXX store. And then he said, pervert your eyes, everybody. <laughs> You know, it's kind of that Archie Bunker, Bunker slip, but she knew what he meant, but it actually made sense. Oh, anyway. So bad. We laughed so hard. But, you know. Okay, so I want to, so my theme of my podcast is interviewing people who've um, stepped out of line. It's called out of line. So people who've like gone against the grain or done something brave or bold or were maybe um, born um you know, of certain nationality or something that kind of, you know, if they're in a different country and how they feel out of line. So anyways, um, obviously, you know, our family story, your story, um, you know, there's a lot of that there. Um, and it's, I'm interested to hear more about kind of how you evolved to become such a spokesperson. Although I can't, I can't, I can't say it was an evolution more than it was. Did you feel like it was more of an instantaneous this is who you were before, and this is who you were after Eric's death? I think I was always uh, of a mind that I wanted to make a difference in the world, but shy at the same time. But when our son killed himself and then we found out what had happened to him, and my husband was so wanting to go after the truth, and I was too, uh, that sort of evolved. Because once I started speaking out, it got easier and easier and easier. And honestly, if someone had tried to tell me at some point, shut up, you can't say another word about it, I won't think I would have survived because the talking about it and letting other people know made it seem uh, more real and more um, uplifting or whatever. So, so that was kind of a natural thing. But it's very scary at the same time. Yeah, because you did face, I mean, you faced some real criticism, haven't you? Well, yeah, I remember the time I had a woman call me up and she said, are you Janet Patterson? And I said, yes. Are you Eric Patterson's mother? Yes. She said, well, did you ever think that Eric killed himself because of his mother? And I, I didn't even get upset with her. I just thought, you are one sick person, hung up the phone. And it didn't even bother me because all I knew was how sick that was. But there are many people out there who are like that. But the majority are very, very kind and helpful in that. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I know we say it doesn't bother, it didn't bother you, but it bothers me. And there's people I just want to go and 
soccer right. team, but um, yeah, I mean, you've received a lot of verbal support from people. Did that did that surprise you when you started speaking out initially? Some people who gave me verbal support really survived. Uh, support surprised me. And then other people that I thought would be supportive didn't say a word, mm -hmm. and that surprised me too. But what I also learned through the whole experience is that never to assume that anybody should be doing something because we all go through this at a different level. And uh, some people can't speak out or some people want to say something. They don't know what to say. And then there are others who are very uh, pleased that you took the time to speak, to speak out. And so it's a learning experience for, for all of us. But of course, the subject being sexual abuse, a lot of people don't want to hear about that. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, as you know, it's so much more rampantly being talked about. Mm -hmm. It's just 20 years ago when Eric killed himself. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of things have changed in the meantime, but there's still a lot of kids playing, uh, killing themselves in the process, process now. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, you said, um, talked about people who didn't say anything who you thought would. That's something I think about a lot. Um, I feel like why I'm so outspoken. Like, what felt more hurtful to you, people who criticized you or people you thought were going to have your back and didn't? Well, I didn't really, wasn't aware of too many people criticizing me to my face, but I knew that they were behind my back, but that was okay. They were in a whole different world than I was. And I don't know that I would have understood it if this hadn't happened to our family. Uh, this was such a deep, insightful type thing. And then uh, other people that I thought would have come to my face, maybe they were doing something behind my back. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> no, most people were very gracious and supportive and kind. Good. Yeah. Um yeah, you've, meant, you've, you've used a phrase before I think is very powerful, talking about sexual abuse and what our family went through. You called it, I can't, I'm not going to remember, so you need to correct me, something about like a third degree burn to the soul or something? Third degree burn to the soul. You can't see it, but it's so intense and it hurts so badly and nobody can understand what's going on. Yeah. And the person having the bird doesn't understand where it's coming from mm -hmm. uh, but but that says it to me a lot wow it's really powerful i mean i don't know that I've ever heard anyone else say it that way i think the first time i heard you use that term was that the when you went and testified for sheldon's law oh yes yeah you were such a powerful speaker and advocate which i knew you were but i feel guilty because um I feel like I missed out on all that when I was a teenager and, you know, early adulthood in my early twenties, because it, I tried to kind of distance myself from it and run away from it, which I suppose is natural for somebody in my age, but. Well, you had undergone the death of a brother very tragically and I had undergone the death of a son. And in many ways, we uh, had a hard time reaching out to each other because there's so much pain there. And then as you began to mature and I got stronger in what I was doing, we kind of began to see each other for what was going on. But I never had the sense that you were criticizing me or disappointed in me. But I did have the sense that 
uh, I had failed you in some ways by not taking care of you well enough when you were going through that. I was so deep in my own despondency. I remember once sitting on the bed with your dad and he and I, we had our hands real close to each other and we couldn't even reach out and touch each other. We hurt so much and that can be the way it is sometimes. Yeah, I never, I don't ever remember feeling like um, I was let down. I remember feeling like a jealousy, like, you know, people get time with my mom and I don't. And I, I don't think it was until, I don't think it's until I had kids that I could really comprehend what you had been going through and it helped me appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If this was one of my kids that happened to, I, um, I do the same thing. And, and so, but it was a really powerful, um, um, What's the word I'm looking for? I lost my words. Example. <laughs> a really powerful example for me. Um, I think a big reason why I, I do get so outspoken. Of course, I have dad in me too where I get a little too passionate sometimes. <laughs> I know you've always been able to like deliver your message with passion, but then I just, uh, sometimes I just go completely off the rails. Well, dad always said if you're going to be a bear, might as well be a grizzly. Well, yeah. He really did believe in being a grizzly, but <laughs> he didn't roar all the time. No, he was a wonderful man, but. Oh, I know. Didn't see, you know, being real tender footed around something that should be have force to it. So I appreciated that about him. Oh, well, yeah. Um, tell me about times that you've spoken in front of groups of people and what that experience was like for you. Well, that's interesting because I started going into groups just almost right away once I reached out and I would be in front of groups of parishioners or groups of teachers or groups of, uh, in the SNAP group, Survivors Network of Those Abused by Priests. Uh, one time I was in front of a, a large group that, and, and the thing is, I had absolutely no nerves, no sense of fear because what I was going to talk about was so natural and normal to me. And when I got up and spoke, I never had to flubber, you know, try to find words. It was as if Eric was speaking through me and I felt that he was so connected. And that's what made it comforting in a way. And when I spoke to the bishops in Dallas, uh, I told the story of Eric and his suicide note. And someone said later that that story and was, one of the things that made them most interested in going towards the survivor movement was hearing Eric's story and that suicide thing. Wow. And uh, another, in another meeting, another bishop told this person that hearing our son's story really made them feel the same way. So that's why I think the power of the story is so important. We could just talk all we want about something, but if you don't have a story to relate it to, it's pretty hard. It reminds me of sermons. You know, as soon as the priest says, well, let me tell you a story. Everybody starts to sit up kind of straight and like, oh, good. We're going to get something interesting here. Uh, that's the way I look at it because we all can relate to it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Eric's suicide note, you talked about tell me or remind me what the title of that was. The title was just simply the word hope. And he had the word hope in parentheses which is strange because normally a title will not have parentheses, but I thought that it was kind of symbolic of uh, being a spoken word. Mm -hmm. 
hope in his last line said, I hope I won't be making a mistake. Mm. No. There are times when I start thinking about the struggles Eric went through. And I haven't cried much since his death, but I've cried internally a lot. But when I think of the suffering that he went through, and I hear that suffering in so many people's voices when I talk to them about what happened to them, um, it makes me sad and angry and uh, determined to help others at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with Eric's uh, saying, all my life I've always tried to please God and I've always felt I come up short. Mm-hmm. And basically it was like that. And then uh, I hope I'm not making a mistake. Yeah. And of course, I couldn't believe for the longest time that it had really gone that way. But then I heard Eric's story over and over and over for many survivors and their families. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. I went through a, <laughs> I went through a brief period of time of thinking it's like denial phase of grief where something else had to have happened. You know, somebody came in and murdered him and they covered it up. And mm-hmm. um, so you mentioned talking to other survivors. Um, talk to me about what that journey has looked like for you and how you became that person that they would reach out to. Well, Dad had set up a website right away, and it was reaching out to abuse survivors. And I was just getting ready to leave the house one day, and the phone rang, and I went over to pick it up. And it was a private number that we had, an 800 number for people to call in on. And I started talking. We talked a little bit. And she said, who are you and what are you about? And so I told her, and I told her that our son had killed himself and all that. And the reason we set up this website, and she said, you please tell your husband that I was just getting ready to kill myself and I had everything all set out and something said go to your computer she said I went to two different places and there was no answer and then I made this call and here you are and so I told dad about the fact that he had saved someone's life and then she came to the Dallas meeting to meet me and she's an absolutely fun person horrible things that happened to her and uh, she has suffered so much spiritual and psychological damage but she's uh, managed to be a wonderful teacher at the same time but uh, there have been things like that that have made me understand that I get to share with all these people and it doesn't take energy out of me it seems to to me it's like if you could share with someone and you feel better and they feel better because some of those uh, terms are out there and you could talk about it versus uh, I'll go back and, and be real uh, bummed for a long time. It doesn't seem like it works that way. Uh, it, it, so many times they'll say, I feel so much better now just getting a chance to talk, talk to someone who understands. And that's a hard thing to get. Yeah. I would, you know, um, so I would imagine if you, if, you, if you hadn't gone through it and people were telling you all these stories, it probably would be draining, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I probably wouldn't even have gotten most of it because uh, – there's so much denial out there about trying to understand what it is. And truthfully, when you read stories about sexual abuse, it's hard to read because you think, my God, people could do this to little children or to children or adults or to each other. And um, this has really immersed me in that world. And, uh, you know, I, I'm the better person for it, but it certainly hasn't made my life easier. Yeah. But, I'm a better person for it because I've got more understanding now 
and seeing how people are in situations where life gets pretty difficult out of control. And the one thing I really hope that people can learn from all the discussion about sexual abuse, and that could be any child with any background, mm -hmm. um, that we need to be aware of the fact that it isn't just church, that it's all over, and that how we respond as a parent is so important. I had uh, one case where this woman, or yeah, she told her mother what had happened to her. First thing her mother said was, oh, I know, I put it this way. I was talking to her, and she didn't understand what had happened to her son that much. And I said, well, just imagine if your son got off the school bus one day, and he said, Mom, the school bus driver just molested me. And the first words out of your mouth, well, remember, son, not all school bus drivers are bad. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she said. So I'm not sure if you heard that in the background, but you can hear my aunt who is sitting beside my mom say, oh, shit. <laughs> my mom was telling that story. So my aunt Pat uh, is my mom's younger sister. They're less than a year and a half apart. And um, they live together in... Um, kind of a kind of a homes plus is what they call it kind of a small nursing home but um they were unfortunately in an accident together in june and have since been on uh on the mend and getting better and getting stronger but they are roommates now and um it just cracked me up that pat was there and she was very expressive which i totally understand because pat has also been um, an outspoken advocate for those who've been sexually abused and um, another wonderful example, um, another very strong woman in my family that I look up to. I never thought of it that way, but that's how it sounds to the kid. Wow. But anyway, wow. no, there were times when um, it was it was so comforting to hear people that finally identified with someone else who was feeling that way because it's very hard that lonely feeling, especially what's involved with religion mm -hmm. because that takes away your support network for the most part and that sense of betrayal and all that. So it's like you're starting all over in life. And I wouldn't say that I'm over it in any way, but I've come to be comfortable with a lot of it, but I still, um, I'm still reaching out and finding people that are finding me. So, uh, yeah. That makes it good in that way. I don't mind at all. Yeah, I mean, I think especially, you know, the when it happens in a faith community, it's just that double whammy of the spiritual abuse along with it. And then, like you said, that safety net, like, especially for our family, you know, how many generations of Catholicism are in our family? I mean, hundreds yeah. and hundreds of years, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's, I find a lot of times what I miss is just that sense of community and, um, like a belonging and you know I felt that so much as a as a kid you know we'd all you know, always eat in the in the gym and you know just that food and the smells and the sounds and um you know I've certainly found a good church home where I'm at now but it I don't know if it'll ever feel the same um but at the same time I'm I'm grateful to have um found a good church community and to be able to communicate to others who've been cast out of their own churches or just chose to leave their own churches. Um, I know, so it's um, just a whole other piece of it. Um, 
speaking of church communities, I wanted to ask you something before when you were talking about speaking in public. Tell me about the time you asked to talk. To, I don't know if you asked to talk to the Knights of Columbus or they asked you, and tell me how that went for you. Um, the priest was asked to, well, the priest had talked to me many times, and so he told the Ultra Society and Knights of Columbus that they should invite me to speak. Well, I never heard a word from the, the Ultra Society, but I heard back from the Knights of Columbus right, right away. So we got all set up and went to the dining room that night, and <laughs> one person showed up. So I got to speak to the Knight of Columbus. <laughs> but anyway, then another person came in, and then a third person. And the third person sat way in the back. Is he was supposed to be the spy to tell other people what I was talking about? And then I had other people there, dad and other people and friends and family members and people who themselves were survivors. And it was a good meeting, but we recorded it. And dad said, he said, I couldn't get over how you just got up there and talked as if you had a room full of people there. And I said, well, that was the whole point. I couldn't see wasting it. And, uh, you know, if you want to talk to the night of Columbus, that's okay. <laughs> but um, you can't really force people to show up for something like that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people were so terrified that I would just lambast the church, and uh, they didn't want to hear that. And and I can understand that, but I think they, uh, you know, and, and sometimes right away you might want to do that, but eventually you get to the point where it doesn't hurt, doesn't help anybody to be clubbing them over the head with what their church does because they're not the ones that are doing it. But if you can talk to them so they can recognize it in others and mm -hmm. their preachers or their lay ministers or because there are a lot of people choir um, choir people on and on and on playground people teachers you know there are a lot of people there so it helps to open that that uh, door up yeah no I just I love hearing stories of times you've spoken out like that and it's I know you probably don't like me using this kind of language, but like when I talk about you, I'm like, my mom is such a badass. Like I just, you know, you're just like so strong and you know, you've overcome so much physically, especially too. I was looking at some of my Facebook memories or something that was um, reminding me of all the physical challenges you've been through. It's really been only over the past six years and it's just been one thing after another, after another. And it's dad's death. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I mean, I just, I appreciate you, your strength for keep going on. And I know it's hard though, but um, I wanted to talk to you about, okay, we go back to the word hope from earlier. Um, what does the word hope mean to you now? Hope to me means that there is this feeling of possible fulfillment that if things are gone about properly, that you can build a good family, you can build a good future, you can build a better society with the hope in mind that this will come. And because it's so easy right now, especially to just get down on everybody in society and politics and all that. But hope is something that really gives us an incentive to keep going forward. And the fact that he used that for the title of his suicide note it really did resound with me and it meant a lot to me. And of course, so hope has been something that uh, I, re I really think about a lot. Yeah. I, I just don't know how 
how we could have gone through what we went through, you know, his suicide notes titled Hope, and how we would just sit on that and not have done anything is pretty unfathomable to me. I know for me, the word hope feels very, very um, tangible, like, um, like, a, like a foothold, like a, a rope, like being thrown down to me, you know, when I'm in that pit of despair. Um, it's just that little, little bit of hope, help that I can keep going and push forward. And um, I think, I think too often people think of hope as the, as the final destination or, you know, that um, it's somewhere you're trying to, um, somewhere you're trying to get rather than the force that keeps you going. I like your analogy of the, that's my phone. I like the analogy of uh, you're trying to get grip your way up a wall or whatever, because that is exactly what hope is. It's these little increments along the way. And sometimes you start to fall back down and something happens where you get back up a little bit. Yeah. And when I think about so many people that have raised all of us, uh, the incredible strength our ancestors had in coming to this country years ago and literally starting with nothing and working their way into owning a farm or a business, raising children and just making every generation have a better life than they had before. But those generations not let, you know, being down upon the new generation for having it better. That was their hope that their children could have it better. Oh, we got a guest visitor real quick. Well, hello. How are you doing? Daniel. Who is Hi, that? Daniel. Grandma. What's Grandma. Yeah. Is Daddy home? Yes. Okay. So this is obviously when my five-year-old son uh, busted into my office after being told not to come down and visit me. And, of course, he had to say hi to Grandma, which um, – she was delighted to see him and he was delighted to see her, but not as delighted as he was to get something from me. And um, as you heard me ask if his dad was home, it was my um, salty way of wondering why he wasn't keeping the children quiet. I went upstairs later to find out that he had been trying to keep them quiet and had been doing that like whisper shouting thing, you know, like you do when you're at the grocery store and you want to yell at your kids, but you can't. Um, he'd had a really rough day at work and he just felt completely defeated that despite all of his efforts, the kids still busted in on me and were making noise. So anyways, you want to tell grandma about your day real quick and then I'm going to finish talking to her. Okay. My day was good. Your day was good? Yeah. Oh, I'm glad. Oh, you just coming down for my phone. That's all you want is to play on my phone. <laughs> well, Sure. All right, yeah. buddy. Tell Grandma bye and we love her. Bye, Grandma. Love you, love you, love you. I love you, too. Shut the door, please. Daniel. Can you shut the door? Thank you. Oh, man. It was something else this morning. Having Erica on her Zoom. Daniel on her Zoom. Her, her Zoom. Oh. We got through the day, though. But I... I, I don't know. I could never, I don't think I could ever be a teacher. That level of patience. I don't know how you did it. Having Being a parent and a teacher and trying to have that patience. And I'm just exhausted after like two days of doing it again. So it's all, it's all different having your own children to teach. That makes a completely different set of circumstances. That's true. You've got a classroom of students 
they they help keep each other in order and uh, it's much more fun than just listening to mom all by yourself <laughs> well yeah and they probably listen to their teacher better than they do their parent but yeah <sighs> we're getting through it so anyways um we were just talking about oh hope yes and wanting better for the future generations um what is your hope for future generations having done all the work that you've done and poured your heart and soul into it and i know i know you on the one hand you do it because of eric and your love for him but you're also doing it for future generations if you could talk about that well one thing i would hope for is that we become more knowledgeable as time goes on and we don't come to these rash conclusions and just jumping to some conclusions because sometimes we think we know it all and we don't even have a clue as to what's really going on. And I would hope that people that are in this circumstance can begin to be understood more and not have to suffer so much and that parents can understand more and that everybody around them can, can be more helpful because I don't think it's something we intentionally do to each other, but there's so much misunderstanding and often when a child speaks out, the parent feels somehow he or she did something wrong. The mom or dad did something wrong. And so they start sitting on the pity pot instead of trying to find out what's wrong with their child, why the child is suffering so much. And uh, anyway, that's just one, one little thing that I've gotten from that. I appreciate this chance to do this, Catherine. Yeah, no, this has been, this has been really good. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Um, so I think there are people well, I think one thing that's bothered me recently, uh, and I think it's always been this way, is that when we talk about child sexual assault, sexual abuse, um, it's always painted to be these boogeyman's like stranger danger. And then now it's um, stories about the, you know, the underground networks of child sex trade. And not saying that stuff doesn't go on. Right. What kills me is some of the people I've seen speaking out against that type of child sexual abuse haven't been able to report their own family members. Right. And I don't think people realize how hard that is to do. I mean, I've been contacted by people. They said, Hey, I found out about this thing that happened. I'm too scared to tell anybody. Will you report this for me? And I have. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think people, can comp really comprehend until it happens in their life. They think they're going to do the right thing, but then they don't. And I don't know if you can talk about that at all. Well, the part of the thing is revealing something that's from a family. There is a risk in there of maybe breaking up the family or having somebody go to prison or what, or having people misunderstand and, and so on. But the, advantage to it is that the truth finally gets out there and I was thinking of a, a funeral that one one of my friends went to and it was her father who had died and at the funeral or they stood around the casket uh, she shared that she had been abused by her dad and then her sisters talked about how they'd been abused by her dad and then their grandchildren, granddaughters. So we had at least three generations and not one generation knew about the other. Wow. No one knew about anybody. So it's all kept quiet. And so around his casket, they started sharing her stories. And that's really sad when you think about it. It's very sad. And 
Uh, I just, I think so many people don't realize how rampant it is. I mean, we hear the numbers, but I think the numbers are probably underreported. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, and, you know, when the kind of the, the Me Too movement came out, which I didn't realize, um, I heard a really interesting podcast. I'll have to send it to you by the Tarana Burke, by the woman who founded that. She founded it as a nonprofit organization for teen girls in New York City. She, it was her mentoring them because she'd been abused and she was mentoring them like Me Too was happening to me. And then it just took off as like a, um, you know, kind of a social media hashtag. But I think some people were uh, shocked or they couldn't believe that it happened to all these women and people and men. And it didn't seem shocking to me, though. I mean, because we are the ones that hear the stories, you especially. Um, so then when people start coming forward publicly it's it's a good thing but the, the the amount of people that came forward did not seem surprising to me no no and uh, they what are they estimating that for everyone who reports something there are three to ten who don't and i think that's probably even lower than it should be wow because uh, some predators have been so prolific that uh, they're really like an epidemic in themselves uh, in and of themselves and uh, mm -hmm. but anyway it's good that we can look out for each other, for our families, and uh, it helps. It really does help to be able to talk about it. And it's hard when it has to be from perfect personal experience, but I still would rather have had all this happen in our lives than never have had Eric in our lives. Yes. That makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, I'm going to ask you a few more questions, and I'm going to let you go. Um, okay. Partly because I know you might be getting tired and partly because there's World War III happening above my head and I don't know what's, <laughs> what's going on up there. Okay. okay. Um, what would you say to others to encourage them to do the brave thing and speak up about something, speak up about an injustice? Um, if they would just try it once and it seems as if you're going to, jump out of your skin or you're going to fall apart or you're going to think the whole world's going to cave in on you. It won't happen that way. But each little thing does help for the next step. And I've noticed that too. And other people talk about where they end up starting movements and they had no idea of starting a movement, but they just spoke out. And then sometimes someone else speaks out and then it gets more and more strength. But the difference in not speaking out and not saying anything to anyone is that you always feel morally weak mm. and spiritually off, off compass, you know. And when you do have the ability to use the grace God's given us to speak out, you may have experiences that you didn't expect or it may be very unpleasant, but at least you just told knows you did the right thing. Yeah. And Sometimes it's years later before other people catch on that you did the right thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just that seed that you planted. I know that I mentioned to you yesterday, and you know, I went through a really um, hard time um, a couple of days ago with my mental health because I'd gone off my meds and I'm doing better. <laughs> so I've uh, been back on them for a couple of days. But I, I said how, you know, um, saying this might hurt you, but not saying it will kill me, you know, that, that, when you have something inside that you need to get out and it is that soul crushing. Um, like you said, I don't know what you said about like, like your morality and um, no, that was really powerful. Um, okay. I have a, go ahead. I was just going to say, I was grateful that you shared that with me because 
that's something I should have been sharing with you because I certainly identified with you. And it doesn't make any difference what age we are. Those mm -hmm. things happen, and uh, it is good that we can share on that, and I appreciated you doing that. Yeah, no, yeah, because um, I don't, you know, it's, it's one of those things, like unless you've been through it, you don't understand. Um, you could have everything going for you in the world, and you know, your brain chemistry is off and you know, you anyways, tired and yeah, anyways. Um, okay. I have two more questions that I ask all of my guests. Um, have you ever wanted to trade being brave for being safe? Like have you ever been brave and then wish you had been safe? Well, that's an interesting question because I think immediately everybody would be, I'd rather be safe. But when you think it through, you'd rather be brave. But however, if you had an, a case where your child was going to be run over by a car, there's no hesitation there. You don't say, well, I want to be safe. I'll stand by and watch it. No, you're not even saying you're brave. You're just doing what you have to do. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's one thing. It makes a difference on how much emergency there is and all that. But I think a lot of us are just terrified of standing out from the crowd or being different. And uh, when you think about it, that's pretty sad. <laughs> pretty sad. Yeah. All right. Um, one more question. And uh, okay, so do you have a, a song that you really, really like that energizes you that you consider like, like a hype song? Like I ask people to imagine they've been invited to speak at a conference and they're the keynote speaker. And they're walking out on stage, and you have to give some kind of song. What What would yours be? <laughs> My song. Well, I believe I think would be one. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. It was very popular back oh when I was 20 or so. Oh. In every uh, drop, the rain that falls, the flower grows. Oh wow! This is a song, so I oh. think that would be good one. But yeah. it's not it's not a peppy one, but it does the uh, Bring, bring home the fact that believing is so important. I was not familiar with this song, so I went look it up, and I found a version by the Righteous Brothers, which I had to choose because my mom and dad's song was Untamed Melody. So here is a little snippet of that beautiful song. All right, Mom. Well, I feel like we could do a couple more of these and just have more and more to talk about. But um, I really, like I said, this week with it being Hope Sunday, um, with Advent um, coming up, I really wanted to talk to you about hope and what it means for our family and talk about all the, the brave things you have done and appreciate everything. Well done. Well done. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait. Before I let you go, you forgot to talk about your outreach with the prisoners. Oh, yes. Um, I uh, had said that I would answer letters from prisoners, and I had my sister help me with that, too. And we ended up getting over 60 letters from prisoners all throughout the country. 
and as we read them, it broke our hearts to see how many of these people were uh, started on a, a path of crime as young kids. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was after they were abused and sometimes before. But in many cases, the abuse itself set them on the wrong path or they got, they got accused of something and that helped, you know, push them along that path or whatever. But uh, I think when we talk about hope, if we could do the proper love and management of our children, that could avoid so many of these horrible problems that come down the pike later. And this is where my braces caused uh, some miscommunication between me and my mom. But I kept it in because it's kind of funny. Later. And I love the, the pseudonyms you gave yourselves, if you wouldn't mind sharing that. The student that what? Your, your pseudonyms. pseudonyms. Your pseudonyms. <laughs> what were the fake names that you gave yourselves? Oh, yes. Uh, Hope Forward. Yeah. Hope for the first name and forward the idea that we're going forward in time and towards advancement and towards more knowledge and understanding. Yeah. I and, love that. Yeah. And my sister also wrote that she, her middle name was P and my middle name was J. I love that. And now yeah. both, both hopes are together. <laughs> right. That's right. Oh, well, thank you so much, Mom. I appreciate you and your time and okay. your voice. And Pat, thank you wherever you are. Thank you for all that you've done, too. I know you've been very much to her. Yep. She's sitting right there. We'll bleed in so let her see you. Oh, okay. Oh, right up in here? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's where she can see me. Okay. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, that was my mom with a brief cameo for my aunt. Yeah, she is funny and smart, and I'm so glad I got to um, bring her to you today. And like I said, she and I could go on and on. There's so much more to talk about. Um, if you have any questions um, about anything related to sexual abuse, especially clergy sexual abuse, um, reach out. I would be happy to talk to you uh, at any time and um, put you in touch with some, with some resources. Thank you so much for listening today. I appreciate you. If you want to connect, you can find me at catpoland.com or on Twitter, Instagram at catpoland or on Facebook cat Poland, author and storyteller i invite you to subscribe to the podcast so you're notified right away when a new one posts and i'd always appreciate reviews and feedback i encourage you to take my mom's advice and just try it just try speaking up about something you're passionate about um, to make a difference make the world a better place and remember good things can happen when you step out of line <laughs>